The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Welcome to our podcast, The Tactical Take, where we discuss our thoughts on the markets, highlighting the opportunities and risks that we see in the current environment, and how we're positioned in the tactical sleeves of the Natixis models to reflect this backdrop. My name is Jack Janisiewicz, Portfolio Manager and Lead Portfolio Strategist with Natixis Investment Managers Solutions, and I lead the Natixis Investment Managers Solutions Investment Committee. Last month, we argued that markets would oscillate between the hard landing, soft landing narrative over the coming weeks. For much of April, the data has been on the softer side, but isn't that what the Fed investors want? Softer data implies slower growth, which should lead to weaker inflation prospects. And remember, starting points matter. We are coming into a period of slow growth from a fairly robust level of nominal growth. We can very easily afford to trade some growth for lower inflation prospects in order to avoid a hard landing. On the inflation front, March CPI posted a downside surprise coming in at 0.05% versus consensus estimates of 0.2%. Core CPI was a bit warmer matching consensus estimates. On a year-on-year basis, headlines posted a massive decline of 1%, falling from 6% to 5% as the energy-driven surge of March 2022 rolled off. Despite core CPI remaining stubbornly strong, the disinflation process appears to have resumed after a brief pause. At the headline level, good news could be found everywhere. The base effects are all well known as the commodity price surges of March 2022 rolls off. This move was certainly still welcome as headline CPI fell to its lowest year-on-year print since May of 2021. While the Fed is more acutely focused on core CPI as a more reliable indicator of underlying inflation trends, the market decline in food and energy prices is important. The Fed focuses on core prices, but inflation expectations tend to be a function of what consumers purchase most often, food and energy. So the drop in these two categories certainly helps to anchor future expectations. And remember, lower food and energy prices will also help to bolster disposable incomes. Less money spent on groceries and gas means more to spend elsewhere. The good news didn't stop there, as that long-awaited decline in shelter costs appear to be starting to seep into the official data. Rent and owner's equivalent rent fell from an annualized rate of 8.9% in February to 6% in March. That's down from 10% in September of 2022 and the slowest monthly advance since March of 2022. While we caution that one print does not make a trend, there's always room for a head fake given the volatility in inflation prints. We won't rehash the dynamics and shelter costs. These are all well known by both the market and the Fed. Those well-known lags are here, but once those prints begin to roll over, there's a considerable pipeline of continued disinflation that will weigh on prints in the quarters to come. While the release contained plenty of welcome news, it also confirmed that we aren't out of the woods yet. Despite the substantial decline in shelter costs, core CPI remained firm, buoyed by a modest pickup in core goods prices, as well as continued stickiness in supercore services, which continues to drift sideways. Recall that supercore services is defined as service inflation, less food and energy, as well as shelter cost, and is used as the Fed's proxy for wage growth. Some encouraging signs of re-emerging disinflationary pressures, but the Fed's job isn't done yet. With the narrative machine swinging firmly back into hard landing territory, the consensus is on high alert for any and all data that confirms a recessionary outcome. Disinflation is encouraging, but too fast a pace and the bears will be foaming at the mouth, declaring that demand is plummeting as the economy heads towards that inevitable recession. In that sense, 
This print very much threads the needle showing continued decline, but not falling off a cliff to suggest economic activity is markedly declining. And it certainly doesn't fit the bill of warmer-than-forecast inflation, suggesting more aggressive tightening is imminently required. And while we've said that the Fed's job isn't over, this certainly doesn't suggest greater urgency is needed either. The result? Odds for a soft landing moved higher as disinflation continues to support disposable incomes for future consumption. And stagflation is looking more and more like a pipe dream for the inflationistas. While higher for longer continues to look like the most likely playbook, should the economy be on the verge of a more material slowdown than expected, continued disinflationary progress provides a greater cover for incremental cuts should they be needed. And that means the odds of a slowdown without meaningful cuts continue to go lower. So where does the Fed go from here? As was widely anticipated, the Fed hiked 25 basis points at their May meeting, bringing the upper bound on the Fed funds rate to 5.25%. Yes, the pause is finally here, but don't confuse a pause for a pivot. Inflation is moderating and labor market tightness is easing as supply improves. And while the goods surge has effectively normalized and housing is set for a long decline in the months ahead, it will take some time for the Fed to be convinced of Supercore services decelerating. With labor markets remaining strong and inventory investment and housing likely to contribute positively to growth in the quarters ahead, those 2023 recession calls are looking more and more offsides. And that means higher for longer. And keep in mind, a pause doesn't necessarily mean the end to the hiking cycle. Gone are the days of the Fed fighting the market. The Fed has their forecasts and the markets have theirs. But the data is firmly in control, and with the Fed likely to maintain a hawkish bias, that bar could certainly be hurdled if growth firms and inflation prints remain stubbornly strong. The Fed's job isn't done yet, and that means those expecting cuts are likely to be disappointed. Don't confuse a pause for a pivot. More importantly than the economic data, April marks the quarterly confessional season. Companies come to the markets and tell us how they performed during the previous three months, highlighting the good things and the bad things they've done. And yes, this review is backward-looking, but it does serve a useful exercise. We can look at what the assumptions were for the market participants in terms of the underlying fundamentals and perform a sanity check. Were things as good or as bad as were expected during the first quarter? And if so, why? What did we get right and what did we miss? And what does this tell us about the state of the consumer and the overall trajectory of the economy? And most importantly, what is management saying about the prospects of their businesses going forward? Well, to summarize, we've been on record for quite some time saying that the bears might be caught a bit flat-footed. In our conversations with clients over the last few months, many have fallen back on the idea that the Fed raising rates always tends to break things. And it's just a matter of time before that manifests in equity price reaction. Many pointed to Silicon Valley Bank and the mini quote-unquote banking crisis. We stepped through that scenario and the potential fallout from this situation in the last month's podcast, so I won't rehash our take there. But in summary, to us, that was an idiosyncratic event that was not a reflection of broader market issues. Credit conditions have been tightening and loan growth demand falling for months, well before this banking blip hit, and yet the economy was still expanding. And the fallout from any collateral damage tied to commercial real estate was one that would certainly have a knock-on effect on growth. But even in the worst-case scenario, that knock-on effect might shave off a half a percentage point of GDP. Not devastating, and certainly not cataclysmic enough to usher in those hard landing calls. 
And we also know that much of the bearish pushback we receive stems from, well, quite frankly, being told by the media repeatedly that things are bad and we're going into a recession. But when we ask for details on the path to this outcome, we find many at a loss for words. Sure, this scenario could eventually play out, and to reiterate, we're expecting slowing of the economy, but a slowing is not the same as a sudden stop or a crash, and given the economic backdrop that we're currently following, we just don't see the ingredients for this to play out. But I digress, sorry. Let's get back on point. Back to earnings and what companies are saying. The bear case seems to have been focused on the need for margin compression. Slowing top-line revenue growth and higher labor costs would simply crush margins, and this would lead to the earnings coming up short. And as earnings whiffed, EPS estimates would subsequently need to be revised lower. So what do we know so far? Yes, margins are moving, but they're not moving in the direction that the bearish consensus wants. Yes, earnings growth has certainly drifted lower, and earnings are contracting in aggregate, in part due to base effects, but that margin cliff has not kicked in. And while we're at the midpoint in the earnings season at the time of this recording, operating margins are in fact stabilizing, and commentary suggests that this trend is set to continue. Companies across almost all industries are reporting the same thing. Operating margins remain resilient or even are expanding thanks to aggressive cost cutting. Yep, that's right. Operating margins are holding up just fine. And in some cases, they're even expanding. And more importantly, the guidance on margins going forward has remained just as resilient. Companies are saying that they expect margins to remain healthy, if not expand, due to the strong efforts to rein in costs. Margins are simply proving to be very resilient. And we've said this over and over this year. We gave corporate America more than two years to prepare for this recession. Did you think they would just sit there and wait for a slowdown to slap them upside the face? A lot of those recession calls were based on a number of specific assumptions. Fiscal drag would be massive. The housing market would effectively grind to a halt. Inventories were bloated and would thus lead companies to slashing production. And that inventory right-sizing would take a bite out of growth. The dollar was surging, crimping export demand. Food and energy prices were skyrocketing, which would eventually weigh on disposable income. And global growth would be held back by China's zero COVID policy and Europe's energy pressures. A pretty lengthy list of headwinds, and yet these headwinds have now flipped to this year's tailwinds. And just like the economy, last year's earnings headwinds are beginning to flip to this year's tailwinds. Bloated headcount and cost structures have been met with aggressive cost cutting. Tight supply chains have continued to normalize. The goods-heavy composition of the S&P, which dealt with excess inventory unwinds and falling demand as consumption patterns shifted to services, they're now seeing cleaner inventory backdrops, and the pendulum of consumption composition is now stabilizing. The dollar's massive surge in 2022 has given way to a nearly 10% decline from the peak, which bolsters both export demand and translated revenues. And here, think multinational profits that are brought back into the U.S., I can exchange my euros, for example, for U.S. dollars at a rate that's 10% cheaper. That gain falls right to my bottom line, and I haven't done anything in my corporate game plan to create this. An improved China demand outlook and energy pains fading in Europe have provided a better global growth backdrop for multinationals. Pretty strong. Nominal growth may be slowing moderately over the course of this year after a strong first quarter, but it is by no means imminently slipping into a recession. And, as the old adage goes, the stock market isn't the economy. 
To hammer this point home, the earnings cycle is seemingly dislocated from the economic cycle to a degree. The normalization from the pandemic surge in margins appears to be coming to an end with margins stabilizing and, for some companies, beginning to expand. As a result, we appear to be on track for the earnings recession to bottom out in first quarter. Remember, markets are forward discounting mechanisms. Investors vote on their expectations every day. The earnings declines we've seen in the fourth quarter of 2022 and thus far in the first quarter of 2023 were basically discounted in 2022's price action. Moving forward, robust economic growth should continue to support top lines while margins begin to bear the fruits of aggressive cost cutting. And about those calls for the S&P to drop to the low 3000s, going to be a tough sell if multiples bottomed last year as they tend to do well in advance of the trough in earnings. And all the while, earnings are holding up much better than their compressed margins forecasts. And don't forget the pervasive bearishness in under-risk positions that we've seen in portfolios and sentiment surveys. The earnings cycle appears dislocated from that economic cycle. And top-line growth is holding up, margins are surprising to the upside. And that means those doomsday earnings calls likely won't pan out. In just a matter of time, we keep hearing those recession calls getting pushed out quarter after quarter. Maybe it will end up proving correct eventually. A broken clock gets the time right twice a day. But based on what we're seeing right now, it's tough to get on board with these hard landings S&P 3300 calls. So let's do a quick summary of what we've heard so far on the earnings front. China's consumer is in the midst of a huge rebound thanks to the removal of COVID restrictions. Higher-end consumers are still spending like before, and the average consumer is still in decent shape. Housing still appears strong despite all the macro headwinds domestically. Industrials, story's somewhat mixed here, but plenty of headwinds, but there's also some powerful tailwinds, including underappreciated fiscal stimulus and reshoring trends helping to drive infrastructure and manufacturing investment. Outdoor and gardening sales, well, those trends are poor. In the manpower report, that suggests softening in the labor momentum. Travel demand remains very strong, and regional banks have had a huge better than feared. All in all, first quarter earnings are performing well. Numbers are exceeding forecasts and forward estimates are getting revised higher. The worst for corporate America may very well be in the rearview mirror. And let's remember, an earnings recession has actually been occurring beneath the surface for nearly a year now. X-Energy, S&P 500 earning per share growth has been declining year on year since second quarter of 2022. Operating margins appear to have troughed in the first quarter and should expand going forward. Keep waiting for that recession to play out, and you might be buying stocks at a much higher price. Time will tell. Like we said, the data right now is not indicative of a sharp slowdown, and the stock market may very well have already discounted any earnings recession. So what do we do this month? Not much. We continue to unwind our equally weighted exposure to large cap growth, moving back to the market cap weighted version. This is simply a move to step away from the increased exposure to financials. As we highlighted last month, we can certainly see the case for financials to continue to face headwinds going forward, from lower net interest margins and a slowdown in lending, to increased oversight and regulation, to rebuilding and increasing capital buffers that may include cuts to dividends and share buybacks. Aside from this, we continue to hold our exposures with a modest risk on tilt favoring large cap stocks in the U.S. and investment grade credit on the fixed income side. To wrap up our podcast, The Tactical Take, this is Jack Janisiewicz. Hope you enjoyed the commentary and thanks for listening.
Important information. For listeners outside the United States, Natixis Investment Managers Distribution and Service Groups include Natixis Investment Managers SA, Luxembourg, Natixis Investment Managers International, France, and their affiliated distribution and service entities. These entities conduct any regulated activities only in and from the jurisdictions in which they are licensed or authorized. Their services and the products they manage are not available to all investors in all jurisdictions. For additional information and important podcast disclosures for listeners outside the U.S., please consult imnatixis.com slash intl slash podcasts and other media. Further, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and not necessarily those of Natixis Investment Managers. These views were provided as of the date of recording and will not be revised. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute investment advice or an offer to buy or sell a financial product from any Natixis Investment Managers entity. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Investment risk exists with equity, fixed income, and alternative investments. There is no assurance that any investment will meet its performance objectives or that losses will be avoided. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. Performance data discussed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results. Indexes are not investments, do not incur fees and expenses and are not professionally managed. It is not possible to invest directly in an index. This document may contain references to copyrights, indexes and trademarks that may not be registered in all jurisdictions. Third-party registrations are the property of their respective owners and are not affiliated with Natixis Investment Managers or any of its related or affiliated companies. Collectively Natixis, such third-party owners do not sponsor, endorse or participate in the provision of any Natixis services, funds or other financial products, provided by Natixis Distribution, LLC, 888 Boylston Street, Boston, MA02199. Natixis Investment Managers includes all of the investment management and distribution entities affiliated with Natixis Distribution, LLC and Natixis Investment Managers SA. Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Advisors, LLC provides advisory services through its division Natixis Investment Managers Solutions. Advisory services are generally provided with the assistance of model portfolio providers, some of which are affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. LLC Natixis Advisors, LLC does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax or legal professional prior to making any investment decision. Member SIPC, POD 37 May, 2023, Ad Tracks 5665417, 1, 1, Expiration Date, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3.